This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I want to discuss the government's reflexive response to the coronavirus outbreak and the second and third order effects we are likely to see from actions taken this year. We'll focus primarily on the moral hazard of government bailouts of private enterprises. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings and one or two-sentence reviews help me to grow the podcast audience by attacking the YouTube, Apple, and Spotify algorithms to really harness those ratings and to grow the show's audience. So if you haven't already given the show a rating review, please leave a rating and review. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your support. So let's dive in. Today's podcast title is Moral Hazard, Why Government Bailouts Are Counterproductive. I think this is particularly relevant today because the United States government recently passed the CARES Act and was signed into law this past week or so. The CARES Act is otherwise known as the Coronavirus Relief Bill. This is the second relief bill released by the United States government to provide economic relief to the United States citizens, United States businesses, and other special interest groups. So what I want to talk about then is why is the government doing this? Is it a proper thing for the government to be doing? And how does this affect investors and the companies that we are investing in? Now, in general, I try to avoid politics on this show, so I'm going to continue with that by trying to avoid the political ramifications of any of these bills and instead focus on how they impact investors. But I do have to discuss in large degree what it means by moral hazard because this is a key aspect of what you will see in the impact to investors. So, I believe that these bailouts are occurring today because companies saw that in 2008, when they took on massive risk, when they didn't keep enough cash on their balance sheet, that was okay. Because as a manager, you could trust, hey, if things got bad enough, the government would come in and bail me out. We are now teaching business leaders, we are teaching managers, boards of directors, that they can take on risk, they can privatize profits, and by doing so, they can outsource the risk of failure to the United States government or other governments. 
This is a massive concern for the stability of our financial system and of the ability for investors to ensure the sanctity of their wealth in the future. As we continue to financialize the government into the capital markets, we're going to see continued instability in investments. Because what will happen is as businesses will take more and more risk, you're going to have more and more chances that businesses will blow up and either end in bankruptcy or need a government bailout to avoid bankruptcy. Instead, what you want to see businesses doing is recognizing when they are taking risk and avoid those risks. If they, are, if they have to take risks, like they operate as an insurer or they operate as a bank and they're lending out money, then you want to see those insurance companies and banks hold a lot of cash on their balance sheet. Now, 2020 is very interesting because what you see in large part is that banks are a lot safer today than they were in 2007, 2008. Banks have prepared. They have a lot better balance sheet to handle risks like this. It's all the other companies that weren't bailed out in 2008 that are taking the risks today. Those companies are looking at this situation and they're saying, hey, I'm a restaurant. I'm a cruise line. I'm an airline. In 2008, banks were bailed out for taking lots of risks. Well, now I'm going to spend a lot of money buying back my stock. I'm going to borrow money to pay dividends to my investors. I'm going to borrow money in debt to pay dividends and buybacks to my investors. Instead of investing in cash on my balance sheet in case there's a downturn in the market or in case the airlines are temporarily shut down or in case a global pandemic occurs, I'm going to spend that cash and not keep it because that juices my returns and it makes the returns a little bit better in the short term. It makes my numbers look a little bit better next quarter, next year than they would if I kept cash on the balance sheet. You see this when you compare the airlines to a company like Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett has been piling cash on his balance sheet for years. I believe the most recent numbers were over $120 billion in cash on his balance sheet. He's done this for two reasons. The first reason is Berkshire Hathaway has a very large insurance company operation. They insure losses from other companies and individuals, and they need to hold cash to pay those losses. That's why they have at least 20 to $30 billion on their balance sheet is because they believe that they need at least $20 billion to pay any losses in worst case scenarios, stuff like a pandemic or a hurricane or an earthquake. These types of large risks are things that the insurance company needs to be able to pay, and they need cash to make those payments. They have additional cash because they want to make investments during times of turmoil. And so that's why you see you have a company like Berkshire Hathaway has a lot of cash today. They're not having trouble. Even the parts of Berkshire Hathaway that maybe operate in malls, like the jewelers, might be shut down, but they have access to this giant pool of capital because Warren Buffett has prudently saved the cash during good times so that he can operate well during times of struggle. Meanwhile, you have companies like the airlines, you have companies like Boeing, who are facing massive existential risks to their business today. 
When you look over the last five to 10 years, they've spent a lot of money paying dividends and buying back stock. And I don't have anything against paying dividends and buying back stock. I think it's important to return capital to shareholders when you have excess capital. But the key is excess capital. You need to retain enough cash in your business to ensure that you don't have the risk of bankruptcy in the future due to business disruption. That's where we run into a problem. These businesses, and I'm not meaning to only pinpoint the airlines, but the airlines are one of the key big companies, billions and millions of dollars that are being run through these companies that are facing massive bailout risk. You had the airlines request $50 billion from the U.S. government to bail them out because they didn't hold cash on their balance sheet and they weren't prepared for potential losses in revenue. Now, certainly, the pandemic that we have seen is very hard to predict in terms of the true effects that government will go to shut it down. I wouldn't have predicted that the government would take the step to shut down wide swaths of the country to solve a pandemic that is not as bad as, let's say, the Black Plague or Ebola. You have massive number of infections, but you're not having an um, a case fatality rate of 50% or 90%, where if you let this run rampant, the whole world will die. Instead, we're shutting down the country and shutting down the economy for a much lower case fatality rate of 1% to 2%. Um, the key point here is that These companies should not have seen a pandemic like this as a black swan. It's something that could have been predicted. Flu pandemics have been occurring for decades. We basically have pandemics around the world every year, once every five years. They just vary in intensity. This is a pandemic that's much more intense than many of the others we have seen, but the government response is even more exaggerated beyond that. So, How do investors need to understand what's going on here? And how do we plan to avoid impacts to our portfolio during future pandemics and during potential bailouts from the government? How do we avoid being impacted, whether the government's choosing to bail out our company or not? First thing to understand is it's very hard to predict what the government's going to do. As an investor, you need to make investments without relying on the government to save your investment from failure. You need to make investments where the government's bailout doesn't determine the outcome of your investment. Because what you can't predict is whether the gov- what type of government bailout will occur. The government could bail you out in a way that bails out employees but wipes out shareholders. The government could bail out debt holders and wipe out shareholders. The government could bail out only employees and wipe out both shareholders and debt holders. You can't predict in advance the terms that the government will dictate to your companies if they are required to be bailed out. So it's important to focus on investing in companies that don't require bailouts. Now, this is difficult to do because, again, we need to talk about this moral hazard. CEOs 
Board members and shareholders know that any profits they are able to earn during good times, they're able to keep. They can distribute those to employees, distribute them to themselves, and distribute them to shareholders. Yet, if massive losses appear to occur, they can appeal to government leaders in the future in order to try and save their job. This is something that has to stop. Because if you privatize profits and you socialize losses, it's not capitalism. Now, people will accuse this is what goes on in capitalism, but capitalism is not socialization of losses. Capitalism would be to let these companies fail, let shareholders be wiped out, let debt holders take over the company, employees can keep their jobs, the company can continue to run, but shareholders' money would go to zero. That's what should be happening. We should be wiping out shareholders en masse when they're investing in companies that are making bad decisions. Because what we've been doing is rewarding shareholders for buying risky companies and encouraging those managers to make them increasingly more risky. Instead, what has happened here is we have created a situation where the public becomes aware that the game is rigged and they want to tear down the whole system. You're increasingly seeing this, that more and more people are against capitalism and against the capital markets. There's being increasing resistance to the paying of dividends to shareholders and the paying of buybacks to shareholders. As an investor, this should be a concern to you. This is not a political statement. This is a statement for you as an investor to clearly understand. There are rising resistances to your ability to earn money on your capital. There is a fight for capital to not be able to receive a return on its investment because we are seeing abuses in the system. Those abuses, and what I'm talking about here through bailouts and we're all hazard, are a potential impact to your investments that you need to be aware of. And it's something you need to take into account as a risk. You need to realize that there is an increasing chance that the money that you put into an investment will not be allowed to be paid out to you as a shareholder in either the form of buybacks or dividends based upon terms that are being dictated by the government down to businesses today. This is happening today. The business world is working with the government at this time, not just in the United States, but around the world, and being dictated terms by their governments for what they are allowed to do with their money because they require bailouts in order to continue operating. You see, the Federal Reserve and the United States government have repeatedly implemented a playbook where they try and prevent recessions and bankruptcy. This has perverted the system And it's caused cycles to get bigger and bigger. Now, the cycles have gotten longer. You see, we're meant to have a business cycle. You're meant to have increases in prosperity over time. And as there are excess, you end up getting a deleveraging effect into a recession, which just eliminates the excess, causes the ones that have taken too much risk to be wiped out. And then those governments, those Businesses that performed well and were prudent can take greater market share, greater profits, and then the business cycle turns around again. They become more profitable. Again, you get some more excess and the cycle repeats. This is what a business cycle is meant to do. This is Economics 101. You're meant to have businesses fail. But the problem is, is that the system becomes fragile when you prevent businesses from failing. Only by allowing the weak and poorly managed businesses to fail can we truly have stronger businesses arise and allow them to grow at their optimal rate. And this is where the problem occurs. 
Nassim Taleb, in his discussion of anti-fragility, talks about this concept, that what we're seeing in the markets and around the world is that we're trying to put out all these little fires. In forest fire management, the idea is that small forest fires help to prevent large forest fires. But what you've seen in California recently is an attempt to put out all the small fires. And what happens is once in a while, then you get a very large fire that's unable to be controlled because all you've done is control small fires. Instead, if you were to allow the small fires to occur, the big fire, the big depressions, the big great recessions would never have occurred because the small excesses would have been worked out in the end. That's what we're trying to see in the investments today. We're seeing the government increasingly fight the fires in our economy. We're fighting all the small recessions and we're preventing any small recessions from occurring. What this means is we are at more and more risk for bigger and bigger recessions and bigger potential for Great Depressions as time goes on. Now, there is certainly potential for us to reach a Great Depression-type environment from the recent coronavirus shutdowns. Note, I said the coronavirus shutdowns, not the coronavirus itself. The coronavirus is not deadly enough in order to cause a Great Depression on its own. If no action was taken by the government, the economy would continue to operate. There might have been a recession. There probably already was going to be a recession anyway, but the economy would have continued to run and operate. However, because of what we've done to respond to the virus, to respond to the pandemic, we've shut down large swaths of our businesses. Restaurants are closed. Gyms are closed. Cruise lines are not operating. People aren't flying on airlines. Oil prices are dropping significantly. We are creating situations where businesses are set up to fail because they are not allowed by the government to operate. This is a situation that can only continue for so long without creating a massive depression in the United States and around the world. We have a limited amount of time in order to handle this. The government is trying to respond with bailouts when the government should be trying to respond in a way that allows the economy to run but not require bailouts. Will we do that? I don't know. I'm not trying to make political commentary on what we should or shouldn't do because that's not my area of expertise. Instead, what we need to focus on is that as investors, we need to do a few things. First and foremost, and I've already covered it, we need to avoid investing in companies that may need a bailout in the future. This means finding companies that are prudently managed. You should have companies that prefer to operate with a conservative balance sheet. Cash, not debt, on the balance sheet prevents your ability and exposure to need for a massive bailout. The second piece is you need to be prefer potential essential businesses. This is something I hadn't thought about before the pandemic was released, but some of the companies I operate in, actually all of the companies that I currently own, operate what is quote-unquote an essential business according to the government. They're operating in a business that's not being shut down by the coronavirus. They're continued to allow their employees to go to work. 
they're not being shut down. Now, certainly they have less demand because now people are not going out and shopping. They're not spending money and the economy is slowing down. However, they're not carte blanche simply being shut down by the government and not allowed to open. So I'm not owning restaurants. I'm not owning retail establishments and I'm not owning gyms or cruise lines or airlines. I don't own these types of companies and I was fortunate because I hadn't anticipated the need to focus on essential businesses. But this is the second key area I think you should consider. Focus on owning essential businesses. You now have seen what the government considers an essential business. This means if there are future pandemics where the government considers the need to shut down a company, whether the company wants to shut down or not, you will be invested in companies that aren't going to be shut down by the government. That's an extra area for you to reduce your potential risk here. The other piece to consider, the third piece, is avoid companies with leverage. So this kind of springboards on the first one about conservative balance sheets, but here I'm talking about many different types of leverage. Leverage is very attractive to investors because leverage can allow us to increase our rates of return without really feeling the same amount of risk. It's not that we're not having risk, but the leverage allows us to increase our rates of return greater than you otherwise would expect. And this can be debt leverage by having a lot of debt on the balance sheet and less equity in terms of what the cost is to, con- to provide capital to the business. This could be operational leverage. This could be owning leases like real estate leases that you are renting out space and not having to own the whole cost of the space. This could be a lot of fixed cost businesses um, where if revenues were to decline 10%, the earnings might decline 50%. But the same is true on the other side. If revenues were to grow 10%, you might increase earnings by 30 to 50%. In good times, these companies are very attractive to own, but it also means in bad times, it might be a company we want to avoid. So across a long cycle, it means this company is a little more cyclical. So avoiding cyclical companies, avoiding leveraged companies are ways where we can safeguard our portfolio from investing in a way that we are at risk from these bailouts impacting our investments. You want to always avoid owning stock in a company that can go to zero. Now, certainly every company can go to zero, but some companies are at greater risk. And that's what we're finding out today, is that some companies that many people thought to be investment grade, to be very conservative investments, have a huge risk of going to zero in the coming days. In my next podcast, I will talk about the investment landscape today and how many companies have the chance of going to zero or performing very well. And that'll be the topic of episode 72, where we will discuss those binary investment outcomes. But for now, you simply need to understand that you need to focus on finding the companies that you don't think the government is going to have to bail out. This can be hard, but it's the work that's necessary for you to do in order to reach the point where you can feel safe and comfortable in your investments and sleep well at night with your portfolio when losses are mounting. We are in a bear market and stock losses have increased significantly across this bear market. If you're looking at your portfolio with a lot of stocks in the red, you need to understand these risks for each and every company in your portfolio. Are they at risk of needing a bailout? Are they at risk of going to zero? Are they at risk of 
of the management having been perversely incentivized by the government to take on risks simply to profit management. The last way that I think you can eliminate some of these risks is to focus on investing in smaller companies. Government bailouts are going to heavily preferentially favor the largest companies in the world and the largest companies in the country. This is stuff like airlines. You don't have small airlines. You have big airlines because small airlines can't succeed. But you do have smaller other types of companies. And what happens is is that the small companies are unlikely to be bailed out by the government. This is a good thing for an investor to focus on because it means that your management, if you're investing alongside a small company, and let's say small company is less than $300 million in market cap, less than $100 million in market cap, maybe less than $50 million in market cap. If you're investing in a company with a market cap of $20 million, maybe they earn $2 million a year in profit. This is not a company that's systematically important to the world. and It's not a company systematically important to a government. Therefore, the government is unlikely to bail them out. Management knows this. And that's what's important. It is important for the management that you invest with to neither expect nor want a bailout from their government. Because what it means is they will manage the company more prudently. They will protect your capital better. So by focusing on microcap companies, by focusing on dark companies, and by focusing on the companies that manage their businesses to a prudent degree with conservative balance sheets, and low debt, we can help to prevent moral hazard from infecting our portfolio and causing the managers that we entrust our money to, to invest it in a way that increases risk beyond what is acceptable. So that's the main focus of the podcast today. In summary, the United States government and governments around the world have been behaving in a manner that is counterproductive. They've created a moral hazard of encouraging individuals and businesses to take selfish action and to not manage their affairs prudently because they know that they can expect bailouts in the short in the future. In the short term, this seems like the right thing to do, yet it lays the groundwork for the long-term failure and fragility of our economic system. As investors, we have to be aware of these risks and we need to manage our investment portfolio, taking them into account. I encourage you to examine your portfolio and consider, do any of the companies that I own today, are management considering the possibility of government bailouts? Is management incentivized to want the government to bail them out because it protects their jobs and their profits over what's best for me as a shareholder? If those are concerns, I would seriously consider investing in other businesses. Fortunately, I am my portfolio today, I don't own any companies where I expect them to receive any government bailout money. And I think this is a very fortunate situation because I hadn't planned for this as a risk in my portfolio. My other techniques of always focusing on good management, conservative balance sheets, and low leverage benefited me already. And this is where I think you can prepare for risks that you haven't planned for by making sure that you're planning for a wide wide array of risks in advance, because there's a lot of overlap. What prepares you for a recession would have also prepared you 
for a pandemic. Not to the same degree, but just being aware that a lot of these risks are very similar. Anyway, I think that covers what I wanted to focus on today. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 71. Finally, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you've gained value from today's content, please consider supporting the show financially as a patron. My patrons receive exclusive access to my investing research that I publish on diyinvesting.org slash patron. Your financial support is what allows me to continue creating this free investing content without any advertisements. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast.